You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Hey, grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians. We're starting a new series over the next uh, five, six weeks called One Flesh, and it is all about marriage. Who saw the video? Yeah, that was so much fun making who knows what movie we were copying with the video. Anybody? You get a gift card? Anchorman. Well done. Well done. I'll just take you out to lunch personally, sir. Anchorman. Yes, we copied Anchorman to teach you about marriage. That makes no sense, and you are right. But what we are going to talk about here on Sunday mornings will make sense, because marriage is probably one of the most difficult things you will enter into. I mean, we all thought it was kids, right? Kids alone are incredibly difficult. But then at some point, you have to love that other person you're married to beyond the marriage day. I know, crazy. And you would think to yourself, well, didn't somebody write a manual on how to do that? Well, oh, yes. You know, there are tens of thousands of books on how to be happily married. Tens of thousands. I thought it was in the thousands. It's in the tens of thousands. Go to Amazon, type in happy marriages. Go to Google and type in resources to have a happy marriage. Tens of thousands of opinions to tell you how to be happy in your marriage. And yet, it should cause us to stop and say, why are there so many? Shouldn't there be a more direct approach? Shouldn't there be something a little more obvious to understanding how I'm supposed to enter into this relationship with this other person, this sort of lifelong uh, growing together with this person? And the truth is, there is. God had a purpose to it. You know why? Because God invented marriage. It's not something man invented. A caveman was not sitting in a cave one day and said to himself, you know, I'd like to be with cavewoman for the rest of my life. I'd like to grow old and wrinkly with her and have no one else and deal with all of her problems. I'd like to give her all of my problems. I'd like to grow as a person and become more selfless with her. I'd like to know. I'd like to want to do the dishes in the cave. I'd like to want to do them, not have to be told to do them. Right, ladies? Now, marriage is an institution of the Lord. It is given to us by God. And in marriage, this might be one of the most important things I say here today, in marriage, we see the very blueprint or the fingerprint of our creator and his relationship with us, his creation. That is the purpose of marriage, is to show us relationship to a God who created you. Did you know that? It has other purposes and it has secondary meanings, but the primary purpose of marriage is that we would have a visible, Bobby said baptism was an outward sign of an inward faith. Marriage is an outward physical thing that all can see of an inward spiritual reality of a creation and its creator. That is the primary purpose of marriage. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man and woman, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before he even gets into marriage, before he even gets into a woman's role or a man's role in marriage, he says the very first thing you need to do is submit one to another before Christ. Listen up, if you're in this room this morning and you're not married, you're divorced or you haven't ever been married or you're a younger person and marriage is way on the horizon, pay attention 
This morning's message is just not for couples who have been married or newly married couples or couples who have been married for a long time. This morning's message is for every man and woman to hear and to understand because we live currently in a country and a culture where the divorce rate amongst Christians is equal to the divorce rate amongst non-believers. It's equal to. It's not a few percentage points lower. It is equal to. Which means in the church we have a fundamental misunderstanding of marriage. Fundamentally, as churchgoers, as believers, as redeemed children of God, we have a misunderstanding of marriage. And so I want to, I wanna, myself and the other pastors, this is heavy on our heart. We've seen such a battle, such an attack against marriages here in uh, Santan Valley, Queen Creek, the Florence area. And so we wanted to set up this series because we want to speak to the hearts of what's going on in your life. We want to speak to your heart, and we want to also educate you. We want to bring about some light into what can sometimes become a drudgery. You've been married for a long time, the same ruts and the same paths, right? Sometimes you need some new light shed on the situation. So we're in Ephesians 5, 21 through 32, or 33. And 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed their body, they care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He's quoting Genesis here, right? A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, Help us see this. Help us understand this. Help us push past tradition and culture and the world's view of marriage. And Holy Spirit, help us learn and understand why you gave us marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So why study marriage from the stage? Why not just save it for small groups or home groups or a class that we do during the week? And the truth is, well, it's part of Scripture. We run into it as we, as we roll through Scripture. Secondly, it's something that affects pretty much everybody in here in one way or another. And third, culture has misinterpreted marriage and has taken it as something that is their own. And so what happens is culture, as it is wont to do, will market and publish marriage the way it believes marriage should be and how it was created and how you should be happy in marriage and what you need to do to have a successful marriage. And they're not very good at it, which is why there's over 10,000 people who have given it a shot. And so there are those of you in here who are divorced. There are those of you in here who have wanted to be married but never have. 
And I want you to pay attention and listen this morning, no matter where you're at on the scale in marriage. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you've been married for 50 years. Listen to what the Lord has for you, because the understanding of marriage is a beautiful understanding of your place and where you fit with the Creator. Okay? All right. So as we walk into this, I want you to see that there are three human institutions given to us by God. Family, church, and state. And we see these played out here in Ephesians because what Paul's going to do is he starts out with that 521 when he says, you first must submit one another in reverence to Christ because everything else I'm about to tell you is reliant on the fact that you are submitted to Christ. Because you see, for 22 through 33, those verses, Paul's talking about marriage, right? Men and women. Here's how you ought to live in marriage in order to have an awesome marriage. And then when you move on past those verses and you move into Ephesians 6, he starts talking about what? Children and parents. The next relationship, family. He starts talking about children and parents and he talks about the submission and the level there that needs to be going on. You know, it's funny because when children are born, we submit to their schedule, don't we? Whether you like it or not. Now, you're trying to get them on your schedule, but if they wake up and poop at 2 a.m., you're cleaning poop at 2 a.m., even if you don't want to. And I'll be honest, nobody wants to. But you're submitted to that child's schedule. You feed them when they need fed. You clean them when they need clean. They go to sleep when they want to sleep. Even if you want them to stay awake, they go to sleep. And then as they get older, the relationship changes. You teach them that they submit to your rules, your authority. And you're doing it because they are ignorant. To no fault of their own, they're babies. But they're ignorant. They don't understand the world. They don't understand what's going on around them. And they rely on you to teach them. And so they should be submitted in that relationship to your authority. Because if it wasn't for you, they would still have poop on them. Remind your children that next time they talk back. If it wasn't for me, you would still have poop on you. So keep talking, little one, but that's pretty embarrassing for you. Right? The third relationship that Paul gets into, and in the, in the, in the order is of the utmost importance, is after parent and child, he goes into employer-employee relationship. Right? He's talking about how you relate and submit to your employer. You see, those are the three main areas in your life that you will have to submit. First, well, first to God, that's number one. But in, re, in human relations, your spouse, your family, your kids, and your employer. Those are the three biggest relationships in which a submission, a dying of your own desires must happen in order for there to be real relationship. If it doesn't happen, then relationship gets broken. It gets fractured, right? And it goes in that order too. God first, then spouse then child, then work. If at any point you put it out of that order or you move that order around, you will have chaos in your life. It doesn't matter how good you are trying to keep up relationships, the order in which you put the priority is important. And men, if at any point your wife is not priority in your relationships, you have problems, don't you? See, Paul knew what he was talking about here. He knew what he was sharing with us. He knew the truth he was giving us. And when we take our wives out of the number one spot as priority, 
we lose order in our lives. I don't care if work is going great. I don't care if you're physically the best you've ever been. If your marriage is off, you enter into the world in weakness. If your marriage is strong, but you don't have a job, you're slightly overweight, that you're not in the greatest spot as a person, but your marriage is strong, you two are strong, you enter into the world in strength. And it's designed that way, why? Because marriage is a blueprint of our relationship with God. And when that is right and that is strong, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you, you can enter into it with strength. So there's four basic principles here this morning. This morning's message is entitled Purpose and Function, and so my goal this morning is just to set up the outline and the purpose and the function of marriage, and then over the next few weeks, we're really going to get into the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts of marriage. I mean, we're going to get into um, homosexual marriage, we're going to get into gender, identity, equality, we're going to get into divorce and remarriage and all of that stuff, and... uh, What's it about? What does God say about it? What has the church said about it traditionally? Where has the church um, been wrong in its message? And uh, truly, what does the Bible say? I mean, what what does God want for us in this thing called marriage? So over the next few weeks, we'll go through all of that. uh, And then I think as well, just be going through the uh, how-tos of how how do I practically walk out these principles on marriage. So the first principle is this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, self-centeredness is the main problem in any marriage. Go ahead, you can write that down. I'm waiting. Self-centeredness is the main problem. I know that statistically, if you search for it, the number one and two reasons for people getting divorced is money and sex. But that's not... The main reason, those are fruits. Those are fruits that are born out of a root of self-centeredness. You see, all of us are born self-centered, right? Even these precious little children in here. Who do they care about most? Themselves. Themselves. They want to make sure they're fed. They want to make sure they're happy. They want to make sure they sleep when they want to sleep. And that doesn't change as you get older, does it, ladies? You see that in your husband. He wants to eat when he wants to eat. He wants to go poop when he wants to go poop. He wants to go to sleep when he wants to go to sleep. We don't change. We're just like the babies. And so are you. So, No, we we, we are self-centered people. It is part of sin. It is part of the fall and the curse of man to be centered on self, to look at self, which is why it is so amazing to me that in our culture, we look and say, if you want to be happy, you must first what? Love yourself. What? You already love yourself. That's the problem. You love yourself so much you hate yourself. You love yourself so much you don't like that your nose slightly turns up or that one ear sticks out more than the other one or that that person has a bigger house than you. That's how much you love yourself. We love ourselves. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, guys, when you love your wife as much as you love yourself, you will be loving her well because everyone loves themselves. Now, in self-love... We have corrupted it, and we actually begin to hate ourselves. And there are people who will hurt themselves. And there are people who hate who they are, but they hate 
who they are because they love themselves so much they wish they were something different. But they don't see it that way. And so they're told that they must learn to love themselves so they can love another. You know what the message of Scripture is? That you should love others, and in doing so, you will learn to love who you are. That by loving other people, by giving of yourself to others, it naturally will bring a balance and a love back to yourself. Not giving and loving others to get anything in return, but just doing it selflessly. That was God's design. We as a culture have completely embraced the opposite. There was a movie out recently that I unfortunately just watched called Isn't It Romantic? I don't want to admit it, but I am. And in it, the whole reason, the whole climax of the movie at the end is that she learns to love herself. It's like, oh, good, she loves herself. And while that's just a silly movie, the truth is we watch it and we go, yeah, maybe that's what I need to do. And then I'll be happier in my marriage. I'll be a better parent to my kids. If I just love me more. Paul says, no, 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 no. Self-centeredness is your problem. It is your main problem. And if you wish to have a better marriage, a better employee-employer relationship, and a better relationship with your kids, uh, you must become selfless. And selflessness is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Did you catch that? You see, we often misidentify self-pity as selflessness. Now pay attention, because this gets tricky, and I don't want the words to trip you up. Self-pity is, oh man, I'm so terrible, I messed up again, or the one that I have used, and I had to really try, you know, with the Lord to find a place I've been self-centered in my marriage, and fortunately, he revealed one, um, just one, (laughs) yesterday, between the hours of 2 and 2.45. But what we do is we look and, and, and we use that excuse, of, oh, I'm so terrible, why don't you go find someone better than me? Look how selfless I am. Why don't you go find somebody who won't treat you this bad? You ever said that, men? Maybe ladies? I can only speak from a man's perspective. If, if I'm so bad, why do you stay with me? Go find somebody better. That's self-pity. That's what children do. It's not selflessness. It's not a, a dying to self. It is actually the very epicenter of self-centeredness. Self-pity, to think less of yourself, to, to debase yourself. And what's crazy, what the devil has done is disguise it as something righteous, as something good and God-fearing, that we would, we would debase ourselves and that we would, oh, I hate the sin in me, and I hate that I'm such an awful sinner, and I hate that I did all this. Look at how terrible I am, and oh, I just can't overcome anything. God, help me, I'm worthless. That's called self-pity. It's different than selflessness because selflessness is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Instead of taking that time and looking and saying, looking at yourself and being down on yourself, God says, why don't you give that to me and then go out and serve? Hey, son, son or daughter, why don't you give that pain and that problem to me? Give it to me, I'll take it. And then you just go serve and love others. But God, I gotta, be, I gotta be angry at myself for doing this. Otherwise, who's gonna punish me? God says, my son Jesus took your punishment on the cross. 
You give it to me and go out and serve in love. Do you see that? That is his answer to selfishness. That is your creator's answer to self-centeredness. To think of yourself, to think not less of yourself, but of yourself less. The word submit here, the word submit that Paul is using in the Greek is a military term. It is an understanding in a military uh, outfit that all the men in that outfit would submit their individual desires for the good of the whole, right? And this is the term that he is using. This is the term that he's using before he gets to marriage even. And the understanding, if you're here and you've been in the military, you understand this, that when you enter the military, your body is no longer yours, is it? It is the property of the U.S. government. I had a friend who was a Marine, and he went on vacation and got an incredibly horrible sunburn. And he went back, and he got written up and chastised and just got in a ton of trouble because his skin belongs to the U.S. government, and he burned it. When you enter the military, you eat when they tell you to eat. You eat what they tell you to eat. You work out when they tell you to work out. You sleep when they tell you to sleep. Because it's for the good of the whole. It's so that you would all be in unity together so that when the time comes to accomplish a task, you'll be able to do it, correct? Do we all agree to that? That's the, that's, so that's the word submit that Paul is using here. Now here's what's crazy. Did anybody tell you that when you got married? Did anybody stop you as you were sitting there in your beautiful dress and your nice tux and the photographer and the cake and the decorations and the lilies and everything? And did they say, hey, you two selfish people, you selfish lady and selfish man, you understand that you are entering into a relationship where you need to lay down and submit your selfishness to the other person so that their happiness is more important than yours. And have you prepared well to do that? Well, we agreed on a band and a photographer, and we spent a lot of money on the catering. <laughs> right? So in order to become a Marine, and in order to become more advanced in our military, you have to go to something called boot camp. Imagine with me, if you will, if before you got married, you had to attend six months of boot camp. She went to female boot camp, you went to male boot camp, and the purpose was to prepare you to enter into marriage. How do you think that would go? How many people do you think would get married? Right? What if you had to enter a training to go into marriage to love this other person? Because when you took your vows, you were taking vows similar to military vows in which you were saying, I promise to be loving. I promise to cherish. I promise to take care of you for good or bad, rich or poor, sickness and health. It doesn't matter. Your happiness is greater than my happiness. That is what you are promising, which means you are giving an oath to submit your will and your desires beneath that of the other person. Much like a military contract. One flesh. Interesting, right? And yet... We don't enter into marriage with that same mindset. We know it up here, but we don't actually know it, know it. And so we get into marriage, and we have all of these butterflies and puppy dogs and good feelings, and everything's pretty good at first, and then it just <laughs> comes crashing down. The feelings are gone. The I've given 100%, you've given 0% argument comes up. 
And we begin to look at each other more with disdain than love, more with disgust than awe. And we begin to get tired of being the one upholding this marriage. We begin to get tired of being the one who always says, I'm sorry. And we begin to replace the word submit, right, with submissive. Hear me on this. In America, we replace the word submit, a military term in which you submit your desires for the good of the whole, with the word submissive, which is to be walked on, to be treated badly, to be submissive. And we look at it now like that. And so at one point in the marriage, one of the partners finally says, I'm tired of this. I'm not your doormat. You can't do this to me anymore. I'm done. And we end in divorce. So the question then remains, if one of the basic principles and the basic problems of self-centeredness and the solution to that is selflessness, how do we get to the solution? How do we get to the solution? It's not instinctive. It's not natural. We know that. We see it in babies. We see it in ourselves. It is not part of instinct. So how do we get to this? Well, Paul tells you. Paul tells you in verse 21, none of this will work if you are not first submitted to Jesus Christ. None of it will work. It will fall apart. The relationship with your spouse, with your kids, and with your employer, if you are not first submitted to Christ, it doesn't work. You see, marriage, the picture of marriage in Scripture is two people side by side looking in the same direction. That's the word picture. Two people side by side in the same direction. I just got asked recently, how do I tell my son or daughter? Nah, I wasn't paying attention. Um, I'm just kidding. I was listening to you if you're in here. They want to date a, a, a Mormon girl or they want to date someone who's not... Uh, a believer, what do I tell them, right? Do you just do what sort of the old Christian tradition answer is, which is the Bible says you're not allowed to? <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> that just makes your kids hate the Bible. It makes no sense to them. What does that mean? They don't, that old book tells me I can't? Well, if the picture of marriage and the purpose of marriage and the very intent of being married and in union with someone is that you are both side by side looking in the same direction and your direction is God and Christ and submitted to him and your spouse's direction is somewhere else, well, how are you gonna do that? How are you gonna walk when they're already turned this way and you're turned this way? How many of you know what I'm talking about when it comes to entering a marriage like this? You two are like a yo-yo. You're both constantly pulling against each other and then coming back. It's like being in a rubber band relationship because at no point, very foundationally, are, were you two ever looking in the same direction, both submitted out of reverence to Christ. So here's the question I ask most young people. Why did you get married? Why do you want to get married? Right? What do you think the number one answer is? What do you think? What's that? I love him. She's pretty. Her teeth are nice. I love him. To which I usually reply, I love a good steak. I love to be left alone for 10 minutes while I'm in the restroom, honestly, with four kids. It's fantastic. But I'm not marrying it. 
Like, you can love all sorts of things. That's not the reason you should marry somebody. We're entering into a relationship in which you will lay down all of your dreams and desires for the betterment of that person. That is the contract, that is the covenant you are entering into. Your desires are now more important than mine. And they're saying the same thing. No, your desires are more important than mine. You should not enter into that because of a feeling or because of an attraction physically. There's something so much deeper going on. But when 99% of the world is entering into marriage, a God-given institution, with that being their main reason, you can see why so many marriages end in divorce. You see, the thing with marriage is this. It reveals in you selfishness you didn't even know you had. Doesn't it? You probably thought you were a pretty good person ready to get married. And then all of a sudden you get married and it reveals in you hang-ups. It reveals in you baggage, right? Oh, baggage. So we've been, you know, we moved a few months ago and I've still got all this baggage. And then we went on this trip. We, we went on vacation and we had baggage. And we were going, we went with our covenant group, our marriage group, and they had baggage. And we all brought two bags because we flew Southwest and you're allowed to. Praise Jesus in Southwest. And, uh, and so we had like 10 hours after we were done uh, before our flight was ready. And we had all this baggage and we didn't know what to do with it. And we didn't know where to put it. And so finally we thought, well, let's just rent a car and stick it in there. It was cheaper than any other option. So we just rented a car and stuck our baggage in it and then walked around L.A. So what do you do in marriage when you enter into marriage and you have all this baggage and you're like, here you go, and you just hand it to your spouse. Here's some daddy issues. Here's some friendship issues. Here's some things that went on in my childhood I'm not extremely proud of. Surprise, right? Like you're opening the toaster and the bread maker, and here's my daddy issues. But nobody packages those so nicely. But that's what we do. We bring them into marriage. We bring them into marriage, and we, re we realize that these areas that no other relationship required us to be so honest about, all of a sudden now requires us to look at. That's why marriage is like no other relationship. Marriage is not a best friendship between you and your buddy. I don't want to get into that now. That's later. But marriage is like no other relationship between a man and a woman. The two identities of God, the two characters of God come together. And it creates in us a space to be greater than who we are alone. So that's only the first one, but let, let me... We need to close here, so I'm going to get to these last three. I said there were four points. Second one is this. Marriage is a promise. I promise to be loving. It's not just I promise to love you. To be loving. To be with you in these things. It is a continuation that past this day, forever, till death do us part, I promise to be with you. Future tense. It's not feelings. It's not sex. It is a promise. Thirdly, it's companionship. The essence of marriage is promise, but the purpose of marriage. Now, a lot of people miss this one. Uh, the purpose of marriage is companionship. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So why? Because Adam was lonely. It's like, aw, 
the elephants have each other and the coyotes have each other, but I got no one. And he kicked the dirt and God said, fine, go to sleep. Okay. And he made Eve. Why? Because Adam was lonely. Because the purpose of marriage is companionship. Now I want to point out something here, and this is sort of a side note, but it, it, it harkens back to our Corinthian series. But it says, look at here, I will make a helper comparable to him. Comparable to him. Meaning, the order of creation that man is often, that the church is often proposed is that it goes God, man, woman, creation, right? Because man is the head. But I'm telling you right here, when you understand the word helper, and we did a whole study on this already, know what the word helper means. It doesn't mean helper like, hey, little helper. It's much greater than that. And understand that right there it says comparable to, not less than. It does not say, let's make him somebody who he can boss around. He'll like that. Let's make her pretty. It says, let's make him someone comparable to, that the order is God, man, woman, creation. That they would be side by side looking at the same direction. Not less than, but equal to and different than. Catch me on that? Different than. The female is different than the male, fundamentally. Beyond the physical traits, they are different at the DNA level. They are different at the spiritual level. They are different at the purposeful, created level. Do you catch that? What greater way, what greater way to destroy God's creation than to confuse an entire generation on the male-female identity? The very purpose you were created for. Let's confuse it. Let's make it non-existent. That's again, that's later. I can't get into that. And lastly, marriage must be a priority. Genesis 2, 24, this, the title of the message, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Marriage must be the most important relationship in your life. It must be fought for, it must be sacrificed for, and it must be protected. Now saying that, as we close, I want to invite the band out. And all summer, we've been closing in prayer where, where you get to pray. Where It's not just me up here praying for you, but you spend time praying for people near you. And so this morning, I, I, want, to, I want to drive this point home. If your marriage is not your number one priority... If as a lawyer I couldn't come into your life and examine and question you and look at the evidence of the last few weeks of your life with your spouse and say, yes, they have made each other number one priority, then I want you to take a moment and I want you to stop and just think about that for a second. If someone came into my life and examined me, could they see that my wife or my husband has been my number one priority, that I have put them above our children, above work, above hobbies, above the bills, above stress, above everything else, they are my number one priority. Because before we go on in this series, that has to be in place. And so this is what I want you to do. If you're married in this room here today and you are sitting near your spouse, hopefully that's the case, or if there's kids in between you, kick them out. Just, just kick them out. 
I want you to scoot next to your spouse. I want you to hold their hand. Go ahead, grab their hand. Go ahead. You can do it right now. Nobody, everyone's doing it, so you'll be cool. And then in a moment here, I want you to pray with them. And maybe you came in here fighting. Anybody ever come to church fighting with their spouse? Yeah, me too. Me too, a lot. And it's terrible when a message like this is happening. Please tell me. I hope there's somebody who did it and they have to hold their spouse's hand right now. This is exactly what God wanted. If you're in here and you're not with your spouse or you're not married or you've been divorced, but God is speaking to your heart right now. He is speaking to your own self-centeredness. He is speaking to your own selfishness right now. You have heard this word and there is something inside you that says, I don't want that anymore. I want the selflessness that Christ had. Because ladies, it may say, submit yourself to your husband, but husbands, it says you lay your life down for her. Christ was God Almighty, had the power to slay every one of his accusers just by breathing the words. And yet he laid his life down for his bride. He served his bride. He washed the feet of his bride. So that lie that has been perpetrated in the church, that lie that has been told to couples who are struggling, well, he's the head and you're the body, so just listen to him, is crap. Because what I see in the Bible is the head, Jesus Christ, laid his life down for the body and poured himself out until he was completely empty for her. Because her happiness, her blessing was greater than his need. And it has been twisted in the church, it has been twisted in our culture. But men, our job as the head is that we would lay our life down would love and submit our desires for that of our spouses. As you take hands now with your spouse, or if you're here sitting by yourself, I encourage you, spend this time with the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to pray, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table and take communion together. Heavenly Father, your spirit is in this room, and you are moving right now on marriages. I see it. I sense it. I know you are. There are people who came in here very, very broken in their marriage today. There are people who came in here, Lord, struggling with selfishness and their own misunderstandings of you. There are people who don't feel worthy of you in this room. There are people, Lord, in this room who feel betrayed by you. There are people, Lord God, who feel lost in their marriage. And Lord, I pray right now you would use this time that if they are sitting with one another, you would keep the enemy at bay, that you would pull Satan and his demons back, and that this would be a time where you would begin to heal, Lord. You would begin to restore start a new path and a new story, a new chapter in the lives of these couples. In Jesus' name, go ahead. We're going to lower the lights. You pray with your spouse right now. Take their hand. I don't care if you don't normally pray with each other. You chose to come here today. That's not my fault. Turn to your spouse. Take their hand and pray with them right now. This is your time. This is your moment. 